Good morning, everybody. Say good morning to your neighbor this morning. And with the tradition, just shout across the room because we're a friendly bunch of people. Yeah. Tim Yole's in the house, I hear. Yeah. And uh, we want to welcome everybody who is joining us online and streaming with us on Facebook this morning. We are so glad that you joined us. We're going to pray, and then we're going to, you know, we worship, and we're worshiping all different ways. So we'll start out worshiping with some music. Uh, Pastor Brian will share a message, which is the worship in the Word. And then we'll worship in fellowship. So we'll have time for ministry where we'll pray if you need prayer for anything. And um, if you see a new face, say hello. But, um, yeah, I like to think of Sundays as days that we get together and we get patched up and we get prayed up and then we get sent out to go do what God's called us to do all week. And then we come back on Sunday and guess what? We get prayed up and we get patched up and we get to see our peeps, right? But then we go out and we do what God calls us uh, to do during the week. So, Father, we thank you. We give you the praise and the glory here, Lord, for just your kindness and your love. We thank you that all of our cares can rest upon you. Holy Spirit, you are with us all times. The encourager, you can be the motivator and just be the one that brings rest and peace to us in times where we are challenged. And we thank you for that. So... As our national director used to often say, you can come as you are, but don't leave as you are. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you do a mighty work in, uh, in what we think, in our hearts, and what we see. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So if you feel like standing, we'd like some freedom in our worship. Just make sure you know who's around you so uh, you're, uh, you just kind of, uh, I can't think of the word. Don't what? hit each other. Pardon me? Don't hit each other. Oh, Kaylee, yeah, she just drilled it down. Don't hit each other. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, we're going to put the words up on the screen, but I just pray that uh, we worship in spirit and in truth today.
Yeah. 
You love, you love, you love us all the same. You love, you love, you love us all the same. You love, you love, you love, you love us all the
Cause you love, you love, you love us all the same. You love, you love, you love us all the same. You
morning, church. It's great to be with you today. Welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. We're glad that you could join us both here in the building and online. Uh, we are live streaming on our Sunday services on Facebook, and then uh, a day or two later they show up on YouTube. Today we're beginning a new sermon series called Christians Living in a Divided World. Do we live in a divided world? We do. This series is the first to reflect the interest survey that we took at the beginning of the new year. Pastor Brent Paulson's message today is found in Luke 6, 27 through 36 and Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Grab your Bible or cell phone to look it up in today's text or maybe you have it memorized. Uh, that would be okay too. You'll find part of it printed uh, in the bulletin. And by the way, uh, next week, when we continue this uh, series, uh, I will be preaching from the book of Jonah, which also speaks about divided world. Uh, and I encourage you to read the four chapters of the book of Jonah this week. That will be in total, all four chapters, 48 verses. Yeah, swallowed by the... Don't listen to him. Um, <clears throat> but but read, read the book of Jonah ahead of time, um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Our Food Resource Center has new times. Uh, tomorrow, Monday tw the 27th, we need volunteers for the food bag preparations from 4.30 to 6 p.m. And on Tuesday from 11 to 3 p.m., we need volunteers for continued prep work. And then volunteers are needed from 4 to 7 to help with the distribution and the cleanup. See you there. Next Saturday is our second class for the meaning of marriage. Uh, we started this uh, wonderful uh, group class uh, yesterday. We had quite a few people here. And uh, it's a wonderful event. And for those involved, remember to read chapters 3 and 5. You can skip chapter 4 for now uh, in your book. Uh, what am I created for? Have you ever thought about that? We're offering a class 
on Wednesday, March the 8th from 7 to 9 p.m. Sign up in the lobby and see Jim with any, with any questions that you might have. We have a special treat right now. We have a phone video of Ben Bradley's testimony about the youth retreat. He's sitting on the edge of a stage, and you have to listen really carefully to hear this short clip. But it's worth it. In fact, we'll play it twice so you don't miss it. Thank you, Mr. Kate Snow. And I felt like everybody else was just like this. You know, like, oh, he's weird. But it comforts me to know that Jesus understands what I'm going to. Thank you, Mr. Case Snow. And I felt like everybody else was just like this. You know, like, oh, he's weird. But it comforts me to know that Jesus understands what I'm going to. Uh, don't forget today's offering. We have a small table set up at the back of the sanctuary uh, for your offering, or you can donate on the church website or on Facebook. And now for uh, our moment from uh, black history, a video about a woman called Stagecoach Mary, which we'll see, and then after that, Pastor Brent will come and bring the morning message. Mary Fields. Fields was born into slavery in Hickman County, Tennessee in around 1832. After the war ended, she was emancipated and found work as a chambermaid on board the Robert E. Lee, a Mississippi River steamboat. There, she encountered Judge Edmund Dunn and ultimately worked in his household as a servant. After Dunn's late wife died, he sent Fields and his late wife's five children to live with his sister, Mother Mary of Mass, in Toledo, Ohio, where she was Mother Superior of an Ursuline convent. In 1884, Mother of Mattis was sent to Montana Territory to establish a school for Native American girls at St. Peter's Mission, west of Cascade. Learning that Mattis was stricken with pneumonia, Fields hurried to Montana to nurse her back to health. Mattis recovered and Fields stayed at St. Peter's, relegated multiple charges regarded as men's work such as maintenance, repairs, fetching supplies, laundry, gardening, hauling freight, growing vegetables, tending chickens, and repairing buildings, and eventually became the fool. The Native Americans called Fields White Crow because she acts like a white person but has black skin. Life in a nunnery was plastic. But Fields' hearty temperament and habitual profanity made the religious community uncomfortable. In 1894, after several complaints and an incident with a disgruntled male subordinate that involved gunplay, the bishop barred her from the convent, and Fields moved to Cascade, where she opened a tavern. Due to allowing the cash poor to dine in free, it closed due to bankruptcy about 10 months later. By 1895, at 60 years old, Fields secured a job as a star-out carrier which used a stagecoach to deliver mail in the unforgiving weather 
and rocky terrain of Montana. With the help of nearby Ursuline nuns who relied on Mary for help at their mission, this made her the first African-American woman to work for the U.S. Postal Service. True to her fearless demeanor, she carried multiple firearms, most notably a 38 Smith & Wesson under her apron to protect herself and the male from wolves, thieves, and bandits. She never missed a day, and her reliability earned her the name Stagecoach Mary due to her preferred mode of transportation. If the snow was too deep for our horses, Fields delivered the mail on snowshoes, carrying the sacks on her shoulders. She was a respected public figure in Cascade, and the town closed its schools to celebrate her birthday each year. Fields died in 1914 at Columbus Hospital in Great Falls, and her funeral was one of the largest the town had ever seen. She was buried outside of Cascade, most recently seen in the Netflix original movie, The Heart of a Fall, Stagecoach Mary will live on. The untold Mary Field. That's awesome. She sounds kind of, uh, we'd use the term called bad something, but I won't say it in church. Um, Stagecoach Mary, wow. Uh, all right. Morning. I'm going to start out this morning with a short video, and then we'll move into our message. <coughs> probably been seeing those he gets us at they were put together by a group of wealthy Christians who just felt like um, wanted to give a different picture of who Jesus is than sometimes is portrayed by the church so and I just thought this one was amazing besides that we're talking about loving your enemies enemies um, we uh, don't always think of ourselves as having enemies but the longer and the, the more I've been alive, the more I realize, not only in our personal lives, but in our life as, as people and as a country, um, we, we have enemies. And, and there's divisions and there's um, all kinds of hard things going on. Every day you, you turn on the TV and there's another shooting. And then there's somebody calling for a national divorce where we have 
certain groups of people who believe certain things living in one state and other group of people living in another state. A lot of division, isn't there? It can get kind of overwhelming. How do we respond to that as followers of Jesus? That's what I'm hoping to talk about this morning. Back in uh, 2001, some of you, probably most of you remember that. Some of you may not. But um, that, that was um, a day that a lot of us remember because it was when the terrorists uh, took out two of the Twin Towers in, in New York City and also the, hit the Pentagon. And um, it was just kind of a shock for a lot of us. It was like, whoa, what just happened? And there was a lot of fear and a lot of angst and a lot of whatever. And afterwards, there was a lot of outrage and anger and frustration at um, what had happened. And in the midst of all of that, it was about a year afterwards in 2002, firefighters were still digging through the rubble under one of the buildings, and they found a fragment of a rock that had gotten imprinted actually with a, with a, with a Bible passage. I'm not quite sure how it happened, but it was a, it was a rock from the, uh, from the Twin Towers, and it was under Tower 2, and it was a page of the Bible that had kind of gotten just sort of melted into this piece of metal. And the passage was the one that I'm going to read this morning. It was from, from Luke 6. It might have been from Matthew 5. I can't remember. They both talk about the same things. But it talks about um, loving our enemies, which after something like that's really hard, isn't it? Hard to love your. It's easy to love your enemies when they're kind of abstract. It's hard when they're when they're real and when they're right there, or sometimes when they're our own family members that hurt us, or or our own church family, or our community, or people that we care about and love. So, Father, would you come and help us as a church to to know how to navigate through these really challenging times where there's so much division. And there's so much violence and so much hatred. Lord, would you ha- help us to, to walk through this? Not, not to just kind of cover it over, smooth it over, pretend like everything's okay. But help us to genuinely deal with, with this stuff as, as we relate to each other in community and as we relate to the world as a whole. And I pray this, I really I ask for this, Jesus. Give us your heart. How would you deal with this world that we live in, Jesus? What would you do? We really want to do WWJD. What would you do, Jesus? So help us. Amen. So my um, cousin, many years ago, when we were all little, we, my, my mom had a sister, and her sister had two kids, Bart and Terry Lee, and um, we were pretty close with, with their family because there's just two sisters in her family. So we, um, you know, hung out with him a lot. And I remember my grandma telling a story once about, I think it was Terry Lee who came up to my grandma, um, my mom's mom, and said, Grandma, you know, Bart hit me. And, and Grandma, she was always trying to reconcile things. And she said, well, I'm sure it was just a love tap. And she goes, but it was with a hammer. <laughs> and I think that's how um, many of us, react to each other. We, 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 we give love taps with hammers. And in our society, that's happening more and more. 
And so um, I think this, this, as we were printing out, we put out a survey. Some of you didn't, weren't sure what the survey was for. It was actually to find out what we should talk about. Jackie Brown had the idea of, of just surveying the congregation and seeing what, what was important to you. And the number one thing was how to live in a divided world. And I think that's because a lot of us are going, how do we live in this world? How do we live in this world that's so divided and so filled with anger and hate? So we look today at at Jesus' words in Luke's Gospel in the 6th chapter. And this is called the Sermon on the Plain. By the way, sorry sorry for my voice. I um, had COVID a few weeks ago and um, it just hasn't quite clung. It's still kind of hanging in my lungs. It hasn't gone away yet. So Um, I can relate to Bruce now. Bruce has had this going on in his lungs for a long time. A bunch of you have had the long-term, long covid I don't like long COVID. I don't like short COVID. I don't like any COVID. Um, But anyway, so Jesus is doing this thing, and it's called the Sermon on the Plain. It's kind of like the Sermon on the Mount, but he does it on a more level place. And I think probably Jesus did this a little bit different than the Sermon on the Mount. I think Jesus probably taught that sermon in more than one location, more than one place. And in particular, Luke's writing... Um, to mostly what would be Gentiles, which would be us, people who didn't grow up Jewish. Matthew's writing mostly to Jewish people. And either way, they're writing to a community that's a minority within a minority. They're, they're Christians within, and, and they're, a lot of them are Jewish Christians, but they're living under Roman occupation. And so they're a minority in a minority and the Christians are a minority even within Judaism. So they're kind of this minority within a minority. And so a lot of what's happening to them is, is a lot of hate, a lot of anger, a lot of misunderstanding of what they represent. And so followers of Jesus in those days were, were heavily persecuted. And I think, you know, in some ways that's starting to happen a little bit more in our culture if you genuinely try and live out a Christian life, you're going to be attacked both from the left and from the right. I think that um, that's just the reality. But Jesus says this, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 27. Now before this, by the way, right before this, he gives these woes. He says, woe is you who are, who are full for, you know, you've, you've been given much and you haven't given it away. Woe is you. And then he does a bunch of woes on on people who are living unjust lives. So right before this passage, he's not talking in here about just glossing over injustice. He's talking about dealing with injustice, but also dealing with enemies. He said, but to you who are listening, are you listening? How many of you listening this morning? Okay. Danielle's not listening. Come on, Danny. Got to be listening. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Sounds like, sounds like a, a recipe for a d- abusive relationships, doesn't it? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why is there benefit in that? 
Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be like children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Don't judge, and you'll not be judged. Don't condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And Lord, bless your word this morning. So, Jesus here is talking about some really hard things, isn't he? Like I said, often we look at this and we go, is, is he just saying we should just, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship, you should just take it. If you're, you know, being mistreated at work, you should not say anything. What's he, what's he saying here? And I hope to clarify some of that this morning because I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think he's speaking to us about how we deal with people, whether it's, like I said, our family or friends or our coworkers or whatever. How do we deal with, with people who either we hate or hate us? And again, Jesus is not saying don't do justice. In fact, I, you know, when Tim Keller was talking about this passage, he, he quotes first part of this, as part of this passage, it's not part of the passage, but he says, you know, that we're called, what is, what is right and what does God desire of you or mortal? This is from um, Micah 6. It says that you do justly, you love mercy, you walk humbly with God, right? We do justice and mercy. We do what I'd like to call just love, just love. We want to be just and we want to love. So let's be people, let's be a community that, that practices just love, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Hopefully you will by the time I get done. So the first thing we, we, we want to look at is that we're, we're called to be proactive, not reactive. In this society, it's so easy to react, to be reactionary, to let other people determine how we act. Somebody cuts us off on the road. What do we do? I won't tell you what I do. That's why I don't have bumper stickers saying something about Jesus on the back of my motorcycle in my car. I don't have them there because I'm like, okay, Lord, if I do something bad, I don't want to misrepresent you. But you know what? I, I shouldn't have to have a bumper sticker on my car. I should have it in my heart, right? It should be written on my heart. I shouldn't be shouldn't be doing that stuff anyway. But it's so easy in, in those moments when somebody just does something to just react. We react, don't we? Be proactive, not reactive. By the way, I didn't go through this, but who is my enemy? And again, enemies can be all kinds of things. And I'd encourage you, there's a book that Rich Nathan wrote several years ago. It's called Who Is My Enemy? And it's a really good book on, on, um, on this. But Jesus, says, Jesus calls us to be proactive, not reactive. And let me clarify what he's saying here. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. He's speaking primarily probably to the Christians who are being mistreated and hated and treated badly because they belong to Christ, because they're living out their faith. And I think when we do live out genuine faith, we are going to get pushback. We are going to get pushback from friends and family, from other people, because people won't get it. We're probably doing well if we're getting attacked equally by the left and the right, you know, 
They both think we're like, like, what the heck? And when Jesus says, you know, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also, he's not saying stay in an abusive relationship. That's not what he's saying at all. A slap in those days was, anybody know what it was? It was an insult. It was a sign of insulting. In fact, in Matthew, it says if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, and the right cheek was everybody slapped with their... Have you ever seen the slap fight things? Slap fight. That's the latest thing. I, was just, I clicked on it last night to just see because I thought, oh, this is kind of fits with this slap, you know, slaps down the cheek. They actually stand with this thing dividing each other, and they like have to... I don't know what the rules are, but they slap each other. One guy actually knocked the other guy out by slapping him. And I thought... We are such an advanced society. It's amazing. <laughs> Gladiators, who needs those, you know? We, we have slap fights. We're gonna, by the way, we're hosting one on Friday night, if anybody wants to. <laughs> slap fight. Um, it was just amazing. And I thought, you know what? We don't do that physically, but we do it sometimes with words and with our attitudes. But what Jesus is speaking of here is, is, is insulting insulting somebody. Have you ever been insulted? Sometimes it can be by, by a, a boss and they don't even know they're insulting you. Sometimes it can be by a neighbor. Sometimes it could be something if you're uh, a minority in our culture, you're probably much more aware of insults and of comments that are just hurtful. You know, we, uh, this, this was spoken by a minority community to a minority community. And, and I'm neither. I don't represent really either of those groups. But I've come to understand some of the things that are hurtful to some of the minority communities, the black community in our culture. And I've, I've come to realize that I didn't grow up uh, in a minority culture and I don't always understand what life is like. And I think one of the things that we can do to begin to understand each other is just talk to each other. One of the benefits of being in a church that's multiracial is we can actually talk to somebody and say, hey, what about this? I don't get this. Why is it such a big deal? Danelle Chappelle and I, I, it's probably still online somewhere, we did a Facebook thing many years ago. Well, not many years ago, some years ago. During one of the many outbreaks of racial violence in our country, and, it, and we called it the Other America and I wrote from my perspective of realizing that I didn't really get what some of the black community has to deal with. I didn't get that because that's not where I live. Just like in a family, somebody who grew up in a family and was, was either physically or sexually molested by a father, an uncle, or something like that, um, the other brothers and sisters who that didn't happen to may not get it. They may not get it. I remember when, um, when uh, we, it was many years ago, um, Teresa's, Teresa's mom at, at one point had an uh, alcohol addiction and, and we did an intervention. And it was kind of interesting because when we were sitting there, Teresa and her younger brother who, who were home and had had to deal with this kind of on a daily basis were like, you know, this is, this is going on, Mom. We're, we love you, but this is really hard and really hurtful. But her other brothers were like, what? That hasn't happened. You know, that's, that doesn't go on. And they were like, yeah, it, it did. It does. You know, her younger brother would come home and her mom would be passed out almost every day. But her, 
but her older brothers, and not Teresa's older brothers, but the, her older, younger brothers, um, they didn't live in that. So they didn't know. They were like, really? It's like, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Think about that next time you, you're going, why, why, are they, why are they saying all this stuff? You know, I don't get this. So he says, love your enemies. Wow. That's a hard kind of love, isn't it? Sometimes, I mean, I've had, over the years, I've had different people, sometimes family members, who said and done some really hurtful things. And you know what my reaction wants to be? I want to hurt them back. And my tendency is to, like if Teresa does something that hurts me, my tendency is to just not say anything. I'll be like, and that isn't really, that isn't what this is talking about, you know? That, you know, I just tend to, and then usually after about a day or two, Teresa will go, are you giving me the silent treatment? I'm like, no. Yes. And then I'll actually talk about it. See, this isn't saying that we should just give people the silent treatment. That's not the same as, is turning the other cheek. It's not the same as loving your enemies. Giving somebody a silent treatment, in fact, Tim Keller talks about two different ways we deal with this. And one is to be passive, where we just let the person do it and just say, well, I just have to live with this because that's just the way they are. And the other one is to be aggressive, passive-aggressive. That it boils over and spills over. And that's probably one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that we see so much Shooting and violence and outbursts these days is that people have stuff inside that they never talk out. They never deal with. So my encouragement as we do this, as we love our enemies, it doesn't mean that we just kind of, like, I I can't remember, I think it was uh, Will Ferrell in one of the movies he did something. He was talking about dealing with anger, dealing with, you know, difficulty in his life. And he said, I take all my anger and I put it just in a little ball and then I swallow it and I stuff it way down as deep as I can. And there, and then it's all gone. Right? No, it's not all gone. And so loving your enemies means that you actually have the courage to talk to them. If you're angry at somebody, if you're frustrated with somebody, loving your enemies sometimes means saying, hey, we need to talk. I love you, but my brother actually had this talk with me many years ago when I was in the throes of my full addiction. He said, Brent, I love you, but I don't like you when you're using. And I'm not going to engage with you anymore when you're, when you're high or drunk, which was all the time. So I was like, oh, this sucks, you know. But you know what? That helped me get sober him talking to me about it. He didn't disconnect from the relationship. He stayed engaged. But at the same time, he loved me, but at the same time, he spoke the truth in love. And loving our enemies sometimes means that we actually have to talk to somebody. We see this in church a lot where people will just disappear, like they just leave. Like, what's going on? Well, usually it's because there's a bunch of stuff that's really offended them. And they just haven't said anything to the right person, to the person that they're upset with. Loving our enemies means doing good to those who hate you. 
And sometimes that's a legitimate thing that we have to do, that we actually have to, we actually have to, to love somebody who's hateful to us. I'm, I was thinking of, um, you know, we just um, passed Martin Luther King Day, and, and, and you know, all of this, um, one of the things that he had to deal with was, was loving your enemies. In fact, he did this great sermon on it. It was called Loving Your Enemies. Go figure, a sermon on loving your enemies. He called it Loving Your Enemies. But he said, he says this, I think I mentioned before that some time ago my brother and I were driving to Chattanooga, Tennessee from Atlanta. He was driving the car and for some reason the drivers were very, very discourteous that night. They didn't dim their lights. Hardly any driver that passed by dimmed his lights. And you know, some of you may not know this or remember this, but they used to have like a button on the bottom of your, you know, it used to be the high beam. You could press this button with your foot on the car, and it would turn the high beams up or down. Or now they have a little lever thing. Now some cars just do it automatically. But they didn't dim their lights. And I remember vividly, my brother A.D. looked, at, looked over and in a tone of anger said, I know what I'm going to do. The next car that comes along here and refuses to dim the lights, I'm going to fail to dim mine and pour them on in all their power. And I looked at him and said right quick, Oh, don't do that. There'd be too much light on this highway and it will end up in mutual destruction for all. Somebody has got to have some sense on this highway. Somebody must have sense enough to dim the lights and that's trouble, isn't it? That's as all civilizations of the world move up the highway of history. So many civilizations having looked at other civilizations that refuse to dim their lights and they refuse to dim theirs. And Toynbee tells us that out of 22 civilizations that have risen up, all but seven have found themselves in the junk heap of destruction. It's because civilizations fail to have enough sense to dim their lights. And if somebody doesn't have the sense enough to turn on the dim and beautiful, powerful lights of love in this world, the whole of our civilization will be plunged into the abyss of destruction and darkness. And we will all end up destroyed because nobody had the sense on the highway of history. Somebody somewhere must have, have some sense. Men must see that force begets force, hate begets hate, toughness begets toughness, and it's all in a descending spiral, ultimately ending in destruction for all and for everybody. Somebody must have enough sense and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate and evil in the universe. And to do that by love. We live in a world that's throwing hate bombs at each other. Politically, you know, the woke group and the not woke group. The, like I said, the, uh, people's call for division, a divorce, a national divorce. What are we supposed to do as Christians? Paul had to live... And, and Jesus had to live in a, in a culture where they were the oppressed people. And Jesus is telling him, how do you live in that? But I think this speaks to more than that. I think it speaks to, to all of us and what we should do and how we do it. And Jesus says that we're to pray. We're to do good. We're to bless. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? If you really hate somebody, if you're really angry at them, start praying for them. 
Start doing good for them. Doesn't mean that you don't talk to them. Doesn't mean if there's a circumstance where um, somebody's really been hurt. I remember some, many years ago I had somebody come in and uh, and this mom and this daughter came in and, and the daughter had been, been being sexually molested by her uncle. And I called the police. And the family was really upset because they thought, I, we shared with this you in, in private. and da, da, da. But there was this little girl that was getting molested. And I was like, that's not okay. So I called the police and they came and they arrested the uncle and they put him in, I think he was in jail for like 10 years or something. Well, he gets out. I didn't know he'd gotten out. But I'm walking through Walmart one day and I see him walking towards me really fast. And I'm like, oh, crap. This is going to be bad. And he walks right up to me like this. And then he goes, and I'm like, what? And he goes, I just want to thank you. Nobody ever had the courage to stand up to me. And he said, my whole life was lived in a living hell. And you stood up to me. And you turned me in. And he said, and I got help, and I'm still getting help. I'm going to groups every week now. I'm getting my life together. I just want to thank you. And I'm like, that never happens. You know, like, wow, that's amazing. Bless, pray, do good. Does that mean we don't say anything? No, sometimes we do. But sometimes we just bless and pray. I remember uh, a missionary, and <laughs> I used to be part of this group called the Baptist General Conference. It was called the Swedish Baptists. If you can picture Swedish Baptists, they're really nice Baptists. You know, they're not like fighting Baptists. They're the nice Baptists. But anyway, um, one of them was a missionary up in, in northern Minnesota. In northern Minnesota, there's a lot of... Minnesota still has, it, for a long time, the majority minority was, was Native, um, Native Americans or you know, Indian peoples and he went up to the one of the reservations to do ministry to just share God's love with them and and that's a hard man that's a hard mission field right talk about people who hate you Native Americans hated people and they especially hated Christians because Christians did some really terrible things in the name of Jesus back in the day I mean they did some horrible horrible things and he said that he lived right next door to the tribal chief. He had a place right next door to him. And he said every day, that, not every day, but like once a week when the garbage was supposed to go out or something like that, the tribal chief would dump his garbage over the fence into his yard. And he said that went on for about a year. And he would go and he'd pick it up and put it out in the garbage. Pick it up. One day the tribal chief was like, what are you doing? Dude, I've been throwing garbage in your yard for a year. Why, do you, why, don't, why don't you say, do something or say something? He said, because I'm a Savior who, who loved me. And, and when I was his enemy, when I was an enemy to the Savior, and I didn't know who he was, and, and I was throwing garbage in his yard, he came and he loved me and he died for me. And the chief was just astounded and moved. And he literally gave this missionary permission to do whatever. He says, all right. Come into our schools. Help, 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 help us understand who this, who this God is that you serve. Wow. Pray, bless. Do good. Wow, talk about flipping, right? 
And when he says, give to those who, who ask, and, and to those who ask for your cloak, give him your undershirt also. He's basically saying, he's, in some ways what he's saying here, we don't get this, but he's not saying just like be a, be a doormat kind of thing. What he's saying is that the, the Roman occupiers could come and they could literally take your cloak. They could say, hey, I need this cloak. Or hey, you know, in Matthew it's more specific on this. I, I need you to carry this load for the next mile or two. And they were only allowed to, the, the, the Romans were only allowed to ask the Jewish people to do it for like a mile or two. And then they weren't allowed to ask more. But Jesus said, go above and beyond that to show them what they're really doing. And so if they ask for your cloak, give them your underwear as well and stand there naked. And let them see what they're actually doing to you. Does that make sense? Does that make more sense of this passage? Give to everyone who asks from you. Um, how do you interpret that? It's like, well, what about the? There's these guys that sit on the freeway, the, the, on that exit on 200 Street all the time, that are asking for for money. You know, what do I do? How do I do that? I don't have any simple answers today. But one of the answers I do have came from one of my seminary professors, who actually taught the Gospels. And he said, when you get up and you stand before God, the one thing you don't want to say is, Jesus. I never let anybody take advantage of me. Wrong answer. That's the one thing we don't want to do. Now, I'm not saying that we should give money to everyone who asks and all that kind of stuff, because I, I get that that can be enabling. Sometimes it can be unhealthy, whatever. But I think also we don't want to get to the place where we just go. In fact, there was a, there was a cool book many years ago written by... Um, I can't think of her name right now, but anyway, she's a famous writer. And she was, um, no, it was, it was actually John Steinbeck, I think, wrote it. It's The Grapes of Wrath. And, and in, I think this is the right book. And in, in the book, they're talking about um, they have to travel across the, through the Dust Bowl during the Dust Bowl times to California to try and have a place where there's actually food and money and stuff like that. And, and somebody was talking to them on their journey, and they said, when you're journeying, don't go to the rich people and ask them for help because they won't help because they don't get it. Go to the poor people and ask them because they get it and they'll help. You know what? That's true in our culture as well. Our culture, the wealthier you get, the less you give. Isn't that amazing? It's probably why our church gives so much because we're not, we tend to not be a super wealthy church. So anyway... We're called to, to, to not let other people's actions determine our reactions. We're to be like Jesus. When he's being crucified, two other men with him, both criminals, were let out to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Father, forgive them. Are you able to pray for the people that have hurt you? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you realize sometimes when people are hurting us or saying hurtful things, whether it's black to white, white to black, Democrat, Republican, whatever, family members, sometimes people don't realize what they're doing. And we need to pray for them. We need to bless them. We need to, doesn't mean, again, do you get this? doesn't mean you don't say anything, but it means you don't go in there and you don't become passive aggressive. You don't let it build up and build up and build up and then one day just go yell at them and scream at them. 
if you do talk to him, you talk to him in love like my brother did. I love you, but I don't love what you're doing. Be like Stephen. Stephen is the first church martyr and he's preaching to the this religious part of the religious community in his day, and it's just, it said, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. It must have been a really good message. Um, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Guess who Saul is? Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That says, and Jesus stood up, got off his throne, and welcomed him into the kingdom. Lord, don't hold this against Can you imagine? People are literally stoning you. I mean, people figuratively stone me. I want to stone them back. You call that a knife? Here's a knife. Old quote, sorry. Don't just reciprocate, but cultivate. Don't just reciprocate. Cultivate. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to only to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? And if you lend from those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to repay it in full. Do you know that, that mafia, I've, over the years I've gotten to meet a few mafia people. Mafia people actually treat other mafia people generally, not always, really well. They treat people well who treat them well, right? Our tendency is to do that. Well, they're like me, so I'll treat them well. What do you do with people who aren't like you? What do you do with people who, 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 who don't do good to you? And what Jesus is saying here is that we need another kind of love. We need an extraordinary love. We need a love that's, that's beyond what this world offers. Rich Nathan was talking about this, not this passage, but talking about just loving our enemies. And he said, one of the reasons Jesus is like so amazingly compassionate is that he... Unlike the Grinch, whose heart was, what, three sizes too small or ten sizes too small or something, Jesus had a full-size heart. Jesus says, But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them, cultivate, without expecting to get anything back, but then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. He's basically saying that, you know what, God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And we're like, Really? I'm like, yeah, he was kind to you and to me. You're like, well, I'm not ungrateful and wicked. Oh, yeah. Even as a Christian, sometimes I'm ungrateful and wicked. How much more before? I think, well, I don't, I don't hate God. It's like, well, I think once we come to know who Jesus is, we begin to realize, yeah, I kind of did. I kind of did hate him. In fact, in Romans 5, it says this. You see, at just the right time, while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, although for a good person, somebody might dare die. 
But God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. Do you realize that Jesus, by the way, this is what we're called to do. We're called to befriend people, sometimes that the world hates. We're called to befriend people that we totally disagree with. We're called not just to befriend them, but to love them. There's a great story about Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of great stories about Jesus. That's kind of an understatement. But there was just this amazing passion he had. Here he is, God incarnate. He comes to this world. And we kind of figure he would be like separate himself from all those sinful people. That's one of the reasons why I have a a bit of a problem with the whole idea of... um, you know, like separate states holding their own whatever kind of thing, is that that's not really what Jesus was like. Guess what Jesus did? He went right to those people that were considered sinners and outcasts and whatever. He went right to those people. And he went to one of them that he went to was a chief tax collector, which would have been, like if you were Jewish, that was like the worst of the worst. He was a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. He was kind of the short guy. And he was... He was um, a chief tax collector. He worked for the Romans. He worked for the enemy. Right? I mean, think of the worst, think of the person you like, dislike the most in this world. That's Zacchaeus. He'd ripped off your grandparents' life savings. He had stolen your, your, your parents' life savings. He had made your life miserable. You're thinking Jesus is going to come by and just rebuke him and, you know, chastise him. And Jesus goes, hey. And by the way, Zacchaeus wanted to see you. He was kind of interested in this Jesus. So he goes and he, he climbs up a tree because he's short. Nothing against short people at all. I, I really love short people. But he, um, she doesn't have anything to throw today, so that's good. I'm looking at my wife, for those of you online. But Jesus, what does he do? He goes and he has lunch with him. Hey, I need to come over to your house today. Whoa. Go have lunch with your enemy? You know, one of the things we could do this week is pray about who are we having trouble with? Start praying for him. Start blessing him. Even do lunch with him. How radical is that? <laughs> so he gets up in this tree and Jesus goes, I, I want to have lunch with you. And all the people began to mutter. And I love how we mutter. Don't we mutter? In, a, kind of in our own brains. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody on anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Holy cow. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Wow. Last of all, we're to be OCD. With, I'm OCD. Anybody know, have you ever noticed that? I'm OCD. We're to be OCD with kindness. Obsessive compulsive. Don't judge, you'll not be judged. Don't condemn, and you'll not be condemned. He's not saying that we shouldn't be discerning here. The, the word he uses is krenos. We shouldn't be hypercritical of people. 
And we we shouldn't kind of do the name calling and throwing out that people do in our news. There's just hate bombs being thrown back and forth everywhere. And, and some of you probably have people that have hurt you. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's brothers and sisters. Maybe it's others. I, I want to, I want you to ask God this week, like Lord, how would you, what would you have me do? Dealing with them. Maybe you've just been putting it off. You've just been ignoring them. You just thought maybe they'll go away. They don't go away. Especially if they're family, they don't go away. Given it will be given you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I'm going to ask my, my assistant, my lovely assistant, to help me for a second here. There's a cool picture Jesus is using here. And it's a picture of overflowing love that God has for us. There's an overflowing love that God has. This is, um, thank you. So this is how OCD people do cooking. This is how I do cooking. I do cooking. When it says do a cup, there's a cup. There's, there's a cup. There we go. That's a good cup. Oh, yeah. There we go. Denise is going, oh, the floor's wet. Yeah, it is. I was going to use flour, and then I thought, I have, I have celiac disease. That's probably not a good idea. Flour is probably not a good plan. Actually, I was going to use bird feet, and I forgot to bring it this morning. But that would have been a pain, too. Water's easier to clean up. But anyway, my point being... What Jesus is saying here, in those days when they used to go get something, they had like this, they used to measure it into like this um, thing they would have. And, and they would shake it to get it down and get as much as they could in there. And Jesus said, what we're to be is people who overflow with the mercy and kindness of our Father. Because he shows kindness to the wicked and the ungrateful. That's how God is with us. That's how we're called to be with each other. We're to cultivate kindness, to be like our Father in heaven. Many years ago, it's actually, I don't even remember where I was, but I had, I actually was when we lived at the ministry house, and I had this dream. And it was kind of a, sometimes God, God comes to me in dreams sometimes. And in this particular one, he came in the person kind of of John Wimber, who I respected and thought of as like a really cool representative of who Jesus was. And he came to me in this dream. And John came up and he, and he put his fingers on my eyes and he, he, he said, I want to pray that you weep for the things that Jesus weeps for. And he, and he put his fingers on my eyes and it felt like he was pressing right through my brain. And then he put his hand on my heart. And it felt like his hand went right through my heart. And he said, I want you to, to feel the things that your father feels. And that was early on in, in ministry here. And I feel like that set the tone. So some of you go, why, why, does, why does Brent care about? It seems, you know, some, and I know this, you know, some people think I'm, I'm 
far right. Some people think I'm far left. You know, and that's for me, that's a good sign of say, you know, if I'm equally hated by all groups, kind of thing. But um, it's, but part of part of it is that that, you know, I I feel like God has just poured into me, and I think He wants to pour into all of us just that heart that sees other people the way Jesus does, the way God does. How transformative could we be in our world today if we did that? If we do that, let's pray. Lord, so much more I wanted to communicate, but only you can do that. So I pray right now, Jesus, that you would come, that you would speak to our hearts, that speak to all of us here today, and, and help us, Lord, that the only answer to the, the world that we live in right now, the divisions and the visions in our families and our lives, is that if we begin having more than an ordinary love, that we begin to have an extraordinary love, that you come to make our hearts three sizes bigger, ten sizes, a hundred sizes bigger, that we see the overflow that you do in our hearts and we give that out. You said that if we give, you'll pour out more and more and more. We're to be generous with our mercy and our kindness and our forgiveness and our grace. May we overflow in that like you do, Jesus, who came and died for us though we were yet sinners. Before we did anything right or wrong, you died for us. I pray for anyone here today who does not know who you are, who hasn't experienced that grace and forgiveness of Christ, I invite you to ask Jesus into your life today and say, Jesus, come in. Change my heart. Change my heart, O oh God. Make me new. And as a community, may we show this year, may we show your kindness to this world and may we be a light in the darkness. May we, like Martin Luther King said, may we turn down the lights of hate and destruction and reactiveness and may we turn on the lights of kindness and grace and love. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If any of you need prayer today for anything I talked about or anything else, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you.